from the Photobug Studios, another exciting podcast with your hosts, Jim and Fred. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Photobug. I'm Fred. I'm Jim. And we're glad you're here. Yes. And it's season's greetings time. Yes, happy holidays. And I'm back from an amazing trip to Bosque, which is what's going to be on the trip today. And right. With a surf and turf dream, and you'll have to watch the interview to find out why right. surf and turf. And in case you're wondering what's on my head, I don't have an ugly sweater that I can wear for the holidays like a lot of people do, but I do have this ugly sweater hat. Yes. It's the closest you're going to get. And this is all I got. I don't have an <laughs> ugly sweater hat or a sweater. So how about that? We'll start with the news. All right. Because there was news from the last time. There's always news. It's just whether we get it or not. <laughs> That's right. We get it right. This is not fake news. Okay. okay. Apple's self-service repair program, which allows consumers to purchase genuine Apple components with tools and manuals for specific repairs, is now available in Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Spain, Sweden, and now the United Kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. Well, this ultra-fast prime lens is fully manual offers a 38-millimeter full-frame equivalent focal length and is available for the Canon EOS M, EOS RF, Fujifilm X, Micro Four Thirds, say that right, Four Thirds. Mm -hmm. Four Thirds. Yeah, Nikon Z, and Sony E-mount camera systems, and the price is only $369, which is not too bad. Well, it's not, it's not bad at go. all. for. A, so we hope you enjoy seeing that photo. I, I'm assuming that's what we're looking at. Uh, yeah, I guess we can put a photo up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were saying this, and yeah. they're probably going, where? 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 This right. prime lens right here. Right there. See? <laughs> <laughs> It's you can also drink you. out of it. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, Adobe's added the ability to edit and create HDR images to Adobe Camera Raw now as a technology preview. So we hopefully at one point are going to explore this out and check it out and see how well it works. Yep. We'll let you know. It's interesting because you're starting to see more HDR processing become available in other Competing products, yeah. and which is good. I love competition. And I'm seeing more and more photographers poo-pooing HDR. So it, it's interesting yeah. because I don't know why, but yeah. there you are. Yep. Well, speaking of competing software manufacturers, mm -hmm. Capture One is now saying that its perpetual licenses will no longer include new features, functionality, or anything else after purchase. The only thing the perpetual license owners will receive are bug fixes until the next major release. New features and functionality you get at launch is what you're going to have to work with going forward. Yeah, and more and more of them are doing that now. They want you to go to uh, pay to play, yeah, a subscription service that you have to either what they call play a monthly or annual guarantee fee. or a yearly maintenance fee or something. And yeah, I'm not sure if I'm really on board with that, but if you really like that software, if it's become a necessary part of your workflow, you have to kind of go well, with the in flow on that. In some also. respects, I do understand it because right. they have to do uh, the development and do the work to advance the software, and somebody has to pay for that. So Right, right. Well, Dell unveiled a concept Luna laptop a year ago, aimed to dramatically change how users consume and use electronic devices. Yeah, woof. Yeah. Watch that, consuming. It's a modular laptop that's been revised since then, losing its adhesives and cables so that the device can now be disassembled 
in 30 seconds. Of course, it's going to take you 30 days to reassemble it, but <laughs> you can you just uh, throw it on the floor. <laughs> disassemble. There we go. You can do that with any laptop if you throw it hard well, enough. Well, you know, it's really something because, uh, you know, I mentioned about my Z-Book and the problem I'm having. Well, I have to call the gentleman today that's uh, looking at it to see if it can be repaired. And one of the things he mentioned to me when he left a voicemail was that uh, I may have to re uh, lose everything that's on the drive. And I go, what the heck is HP soldered the darn SSD drive to the motherboard? Why? The, what the heck? I know they're tending to solder the um, memory onto them, but really? really, the SSD. Oh yeah, a lot of the machines now that the memory is uh, soldered or built right into the motherboard. So. Fortunately, I've, I've still been able to get versions of the laptops yeah. or models that you can actually remove and upgrade the memory. So, well, it's like the uh, the subscription model, this thing where they're, I guess, putting everything on the boards permanently, where you just toss it and buy a new one. That's ridiculous. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, back in our day. No, anyway. Yeah, well. What's <laughs> we had going an abacus and we going, did everything with it. What's going on with Apple? Yeah. Well, Apple is typically tight-lipped about its suppliers, but in a recent tweet from CEO Tim Cook, it confirms that the company has been using Sony semiconductor image sensors for over a decade. Yeah, and my understanding that Nikon and Canon had at least one time been using Sony's semiconductor sensors. I think that most of them moved away when Sony bought Minolta and decided to go into business. their own. Uh, yeah. Well, do you blame them? They no. were saying, we're making the sensors for everybody. Why don't we just Why make don't cameras? We just do the whole thing? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I know we've seen a lot of uh, Sony cameras on the workshops and stuff. And you and I have said from the very beginning, when we saw Sony buying Minolta, they're going to be a major player. And they are. And they are. And they've made some excellent cameras, including their latest version of their mirrorless. So. Yeah, well, they're pushing uh, the other camera manufacturers, I believe, because they were the really one of the first to move yep, into yep. mirrorless. So, well, there you are. that's it for the uh, news for now. And um, as I said, I just returned from Bosque. Bosque uh, del Apache is something I've been wanting to do. And it's, you have to go there in the winter when the snow geese and the sandhill cranes come in by the, the I want to say thousands, by the tens of thousands. I mean, it was just amazing. And I was invited by uh, Rick Salmon and Ian Plant to attend this year, so I decided to go. And uh, so I'm going to do a bit on that, and as well as a uh, interview with Ian Plant. So why don't we go ahead and take it away. Six thirty. I'm in uh, Socorro, New Mexico, and uh, I'm in a motel. I'm up here to do the Sand Hill Crane blast off. Something I've been wanting to do. This is one of my bucket list items. So when Rick Simon and uh, Ian Plant suggested I join them and other photographers. I jumped at the chance. Now this is winter, I'm <laughs> a Floridian. 
Uh, my understanding tomorrow morning we're, uh, that this actual workshop begins this evening. Tomorrow morning we're going to be going out uh, something like 4.30 in the morning we're going to assemble. And uh, my understanding is that tomorrow that the weather here is going to be quite windy. They're forecasting 25 to 35 mile an hour winds with gusts up to 40. It's going to be cold. It's going to be dropping down into the uh, 20s uh, tomorrow evening. So this poor Floridian is going to have a time of it. And I'm not sure if the birds are even going to blast off or what it's going to be like with that much wind. But fortunately, that wind is only going to be tomorrow. So today, I'm going to go explore the Socorro area a little bit and see what I can find in here because it looks like there's some interesting things here to photograph as well. And uh, so right now, I'm getting ready and I'm going to go get some breakfast. So we'll keep you posted on uh, let you share in my adventure. Hey, a little indication of how cold it is this morning. There's a nascent frost. In my rental car this morning. Well, the first thing I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to head to the VLA Visitor Center. That's uh, the very large radio array, which is only 50 miles here from uh, Socorro. Should be interesting. So let's go. distance is the VLA, the very large radio array. That's our destination. And there it is, the very large array, very large radio observatory array. So I'm going to go down to the visitor center and we're going to take a uh, closer look. Well, and here we are at the visitor center. For the uh, very large array, very large radio observatory array. So we're going to go in and hopefully it's open. Today it's a Sunday and uh, see what we can see in there. Yeah, this is uh, so cool. Okay, now I'm inside. Just five dollars and uh, I believe this is open Thursday through Sunday, nine to four. So if you're in the uh, area here in New Mexico, highly recommend this. This is, this is a quite interesting science in action. We're going to go ahead and wander around and see what we can see. That is massive. Uh, there are dozens and dozens of these uh, arranged around here. And uh, I don't know, this is just so cool. There's also a rail system here to transport these, uh, move them around, I guess, for uh, maintenance, to install, whatever. And yeah, yeah this, is, this is really neat. I highly recommend this.
Okay, well that's the end of my tour. And if you come, make sure you turn off your phones, or at least put them on airplane mode, as the signals from our phones have a large negative effect on these arrays. They said it would like a tsunami. In fact, inside there was a film that said that if a astronaut on Jupiter turned on his phone, that they could actually read it. It would be like a huge, huge signal. So these are extremely sensitive. So any radio devices you have, turn them off. And I do recommend coming here. Only five bucks, Thursday through Sunday, nine to four. Yeah, one of the cool things about New Mexico is the interesting structures. This is the San Miguel Historic Mission Church. Well, this morning was just absolutely incredible. We had thousands of birds take off an explosion and it happened so fast that most of us weren't even prepared for it. I mean, it was just, it was literally an explosion of thousands of birds taking off and it was over with like that. Uh, this afternoon we're going to be going out again. However, the weather has turned uh, a bit uh, negative. It's going to be overcast and it's windy. There's a chance that uh, winds could be, the radio's reporting up to uh, 50 miles an hour, a gust up that is. Uh, so uh, I don't have any idea what that's going to do as far as the birds in flight. But we're going to take what we get. And I understand we're going to use telephoto lenses, and um, that was the, the recommended for this afternoon. And we're going to have birds against a white sky, so that's going to be another challenge. But uh, tomorrow morning we'll be back out again, and hopefully this time a little bit better prepared for that sudden explosion of birds. Well, we're here, but the birds aren't. We're wondering with this wind, maybe that the uh, birds are hunkered down someplace and uh, aren't coming out. It is quite windy, although the sky is not as overcast as we thought. It's actually cleared up a bit. Uh, so, so much of the weather port, we said it may rain or even some snow flurries and it was going to be overcast, but uh, I'd say probably the sky is uh, maybe 30% overcast. The cranes usually come in over here and behind us or over from this direction over there and uh, land, but again, so far we haven't seen a single bird in the sky, just a, a lone coyote on the other side over there also waiting. So, I don't know, we're going to see what's going to happen. Uh, Ann has gone in to check to see if they're just kind of hunkered down. Well, this was quite a morning. We were at Bernardo Wildlife Preserve and uh, not as cold as they forecasted where you've uh, finished up and are going to be heading back and uh, coming back this afternoon.
pick up some. We're going to need to drop it now. Let's see. Okay, well, I'm here in Bosque, New Mexico, and I've got a new friend, Ian Plant, which is uh, one of the half of the surf and turf team. And Ian, I want you to go ahead and explain to uh, our viewing audience out there why surf and turf. Well, Jim, first I want to say thank you very much for having me on mm -hmm. the program. Uh, surf and turf is a combination of Rick Salmon, salmon, fish, fish. surf, <laughs> and Ian Plant, plant on plant. the land, Turf. So we're the surf and turf team. Now I guess Rick came up with that, correct? <laughs> he likes to take credit for it. But oh, I oh, okay. The idea. <laughs> no, it was his idea. And I got to give a special thanks to Ian because I'm going to confess here. This is our second try at this. We had a technical problem, and it didn't record the first time. So uh, we're counting that as a practice. See, I confess everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to a Catholic, and Catholic Gill is rubbing off on me. So. Oh, well, yeah, so I understand that. But it was good because we had a practice run, and sure. you gave me a preview of all the questions you'd be asking. Absolutely. So I have smart answers prepared now, but you're going to switch it up. I, I just questions. might, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, this has been a, a terrific workshop, and I highly recommend that uh, anybody, and this was one of my bucket list of items. I've been wanting to come here to Bosque for at least 10 years, I guess. And uh, when Rick mentioned it to me, I jumped at the 10. I think I got the last spot. The last on his spot. Last we one, opened so. up a spot just for you, Jim. Oh, there we yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> but you do uh, other workshops as well. And I, before we get into that, I, I want to put down here your uh, web address. You, you have a website. Yep. You can check me out at ianplant.com. That's where I have my image portfolios and a list of the workshops that I do. You can also check out my educational materials on photomasters.com. That was my, my next question. <laughs> And also, uh, Rick and I, the Surf and Turf team, have another website called Photo Wonders, which is mm -hmm. a growing catalog of the most amazing places and subjects on planet Earth to capture with your camera. So think of it as Perfect. a place to build your own personal photo bucket list. And I want to mention, too, that on uh, uh, social media, uh, Facebook, Phototherapy. Oh, right, yes. Which I'm a, a moderator, and Rick started that during COVID, but it has really grown mm -hmm. And uh, I know uh, you're active on there, so. Yeah, Rick invited me to mm -hmm. be a member of Phototherapy, so I get up I would hope so. As, yeah, <laughs> as much as I can. Well, you do workshops. Now, you at one time did international workshops, mm -hmm. but you're really not doing much in the way of international anymore? Yeah, I've scaled back on that. I do the occasional one, uh, come out of retirement for international yeah. tours. So Rick and I are doing a photo safari in Tanzania in October of 2023. So that's uh, an example of that's coming a out of retirement. wonderful spot. I, I do a lot of domestic teaching workshops. Mm -hmm. And so one of the uh, my favorite places to teach landscape photography is Badlands National Park in it South Dakota. Which surprised me, but yeah, I remember that from the first interview. Oh, it's a fantastic place. There's just so many different textures and colors there. And in the summer when I do my workshops, that's when the summer thunderstorms mm -hmm. are rolling through the Great Plains. So you get these incredible skies at sunrise and sunset. So it all comes together perfectly. It's a fantastic place I should for mention photography. that Fred and I do that in September, but you do it in the summer because of the storms. Yes. I mean, which, uh, yeah, I can understand. That's a, and I don't think I've ever been to the, uh, the Badlands in the summertime. Well, uh, I would recommend if you do, it's uh, fantastic to visit during the summertime, mm -hmm. but wear your snake gaiters 
because that's when the rattlesnakes are at their most active. <laughs> I have seen one or two rattlesnakes there, and uh, so yes, yes. I, even in September, <laughs> something to be uh, observant and to watch out for. I went uh, years going to the Badlands without seeing a single rattlesnake, mm -hmm. but this past year during the summer, it was very snaky. So I made sure to buy snake gators for all my clients. Well, we have them in Florida too, so <laughs> we get the diamondbacks. Yeah. And the little pygmies, which are, I call them the chihuahua, the snake world, because <laughs> they're nasty little guys. They are constantly wanting to strike. And I understand they always envenomate, mm. which I understand that the uh, larger rattlesnakes sometimes do dry bites. Yeah. Well, there's nothing uh, more primarily scary than encountering a rattlesnake. And it's not even the well, rattle. <laughs> it's when they start hissing at you. That well, is terrifying. That's the other thing is the little <laughs> pygmies, they're so small, they'll rattle, you can't hear it. Oh, wow, that's scary. <laughs> and they don't hiss either. So, <laughs> Well, of all the places I know you've traveled extensively, I know you were just in Madagascar before mm -hmm. I was, and I appreciate the help that you did. We uh, got on the phone and uh, you gave me some suggestions. Do you have a favorite spot? Yeah, you know, I've been to a lot of places around the world, and it's tough for me to answer the question of what's my favorite spot. Let's say outside of the Badlands. Right, outside of the Badlands. <laughs> well, I, you know, I kind of feel like anywhere I am at the time is my favorite spot, because, yeah. you know, every place has got its own unique beauty. But a few of the places around the world that have really spoken to me, uh, Rwanda was an incredible experience. I went mm -hmm. there to trek with mountain gorillas, and the country is beautiful. Uh, you know, Rwanda obviously had some troubles Yes. Uh, a while back, but the country has really rebounded, and it's an incredible place to visit. Beautiful country, beautiful people, and trekking with the mountain grills is absolutely an amazing experience. Another place cool. I really love to go is Indonesia. Indonesia is very diverse in terms of its landscapes and its wildlife, and the only other place in the world that I have, I think, has that same amount of diversity are the big countries like the United States, mm. Canada. Uh, Russia. So Indonesia, because it's got so many islands, there's so many different ecosystems, so many different landscapes. You, it's really diverse. You have a trip coming up again. You're going back to Indonesia. I'm, I'm hoping, yeah, Hopefully to go you. back there uh, in May uh, and do quite a bit of photography, some old places that I've been to, some new places I haven't been to. Good. So to sum up, do you have a bit of advice? Since you do workshops, I know you've got a lot of newbies as well as experienced mm -hmm. photographers that come into workshops. Is there a... <laughs> I'm going to make it difficult on you. One bit of advice you would give to somebody that's going to go on a workshop or just general photography. Yeah, well, actually, I have two bits of advice. That's one fine. Technical, uh, one technical, one more about attitude. Mm -hmm. So my technical advice is learn how your camera works as much as you can. Because yeah. you can obviously ask the instructor for some help, but there's so many different camera systems now and so many different models within the same system that have different menus and buttons and everything. It's become increasingly difficult for workshop instructors <laughs> to help people when they need something fixed on their camera. RTFM. <laughs> they guarantee to put you to sleep and not have it for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is people go on workshops and their instructor might set some custom function on their camera and then they go to the next workshop and some instructor sets something else yeah. and eventually they've got all these things set that start competing with each other and the whole system breaks down and a lot of times i'll sit there and spend hours trying to figure out what's been done to the camera so i can undo it so that the camera will start working again so definitely learn your camera as much as you can and you said that i follow that advice i never have any technical difficulties <laughs> <laughs> The second bit of advice I have is more about attitude, and mm -hmm. it's a general attitude for anyone doing photography. Mm -hmm. um, I think you just need to learn to photograph what your 
area has to offer. So wherever mm -hmm. you go, you might have some expectations about what that place will offer, what the subject will offer, and those expectations won't always be met. Sometimes mm -hmm. you'll have bad weather, sometimes you'll be going there for something seasonal, like you, you come to Bosque del Apache for the birds, and the mm -hmm. birds are a few weeks late. And so you've got this expensive trip that you've paid for, and you're there on location. The best thing you can do is just embrace what you do have and make the most out of it and try to find a way to be creative and make great images. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the best way to stay inspired and to keep inspired is to get your eye behind the camera viewfinder and just engage in the creative process. So even if it's not specific to a trip, even if you find yourself in a creative rut every now and then, just force yourself to engage in the process and to take what's offered to you wherever, whenever you are. And that's how you really learn better as a photographer. Mm -hmm. And that's how you make compelling images, even when expectations uh, aren't being met, even when reality isn't quite as good as you would hope it would be. Hey, we say, uh, don't be afraid to move out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. know, try something new. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. And again, this has been a great workshop, so I highly recommend uh, the, uh, the Bosque workshop. So fist bump. And fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Thank again. You. Thanks for having me on. It's been I, a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Again, I highly recommend uh, you have to go there in the wintertime. I think uh, November, December are the uh, leading times to go. And I would plan to spend at least four or five days there. And uh, there's uh, Bosque del Apache and Bernardo was the two places that we went to. And while you were there, it's a short distance from Socorro to see the VLA that I mentioned, the very large array of... Um, you know, I, I, radio, telescopes. radio telescopes or, you know, yeah. big dishes and that is truly amazing it's only five bucks to get in it's open from Thursday through Sunday so highly recommend that so there we go um, but whether you go to Bosque or get in your backyard uh, we want you to be out there chasing those elusive images because anytime you can get shutter time it's always a great time and with that we'll see you next time on the, the photo bug. Be sure to tune in next time to the photo bug for news, reviews, interviews, and how to's. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And please check out and subscribe to the photo bug YouTube channel.